0: Hello and welcome to EM Insider with me, your host, Crystal Higgins. Joining me today is Werner Van Pittius. Werner is co-head of Fixed Income at 91, where he runs a range of emerging market, local currency and hard currency portfolios. In this episode, we discuss China's reopening, his top EMD picks, as well as how hawkish US policies are impacting EMD flows today. Looking at this year compared to 2022, which was you know, an extraordinary uh, bull market really for not just emerging market debt, but bonds more broadly. How would you compare this year so far as regards performance and valuations compared to the key characteristics that impacted the market last year?
1: Yeah, so last year we were re-rating across all fixed income markets to a new normal of, in, of, uh, of a higher inflation world. And it's something that the market wasn't used to over the past decade plus. And so the moves we saw in fixed income markets were extraordinary. And it's extraordinary because of the, the big surprise and the shock it, it gave to markets in that People have just not been used to dealing with with higher inflation, and the bond markets reacted. And I think, especially the developed market uh, uh, central banks got caught behind the curve. So, EM started hiking pretty much a year before most uh, developed markets started hiking in in earnest. So um, that that kind of I, I guess almost ostrich effect of sticking your head in the ground and assume that inflation's not happening and if you know, if I don't see sure. it I think it' a it was a fairly uh, uh naive way to approach it and you know we were saying that they they should be hiking and eventually they got around to hiking and it really hurt the bond markets when they did and so play you know fast forward that into 2023. We we've done all the all of the hiking that certainly emerging markets needed. And that created a, a big buffer for, for EM assets. And so if you if you look at EM uh, up until the end of May this year, yeah. local currency markets uh, up around 5% or so. Uh, US Treasury is only about 2%. Uh, so EM, EM assets have done fairly well. Hard currency sovereign about you know th- three, three and a half percent or so, I would say. So the, the bond markets have, have have traded reasonably well this year in, in context. Um, volatility has certainly <laughs> been there as well, has been a feature of the market. As measured by yeah the move index or something like that, but uh, it's been a volatile ride. But the assets have done okay, and I think it's as the market is adjusting to this this new normal of inflation having reset higher.
0: Yeah, it's funny you were saying the you know obviously the the new normal uh, and yeah. um, inflation, which obviously everyone is all you know all too um, aware of. Mm. Which emerging market economies do you see as being best equipped to deal with this, you know? The current economic climate, which you know has obviously is quite extended now, you know of this, you know slow growth, inflation, um, and and how what how do you in ninety one how do you as a manager assess you know which country is going to struggle and which areas are you know show the best opportunities?
1: Yeah. So. I think the the most the logical starting point for, for that is to just go back to orthodox policy. So what the market wants to see in an environment like this is which central banks uh can can dish out the bitter medicine. And none of us like bitter medicine, but you need to hand that out in times like this. And EM Central central bank certainly did that in spades. And that was first and foremost led by the Latin American countries. So they've performed much better than anybody else. And that is because they have really hiked up interest rates to a point where, you know, Brazil probably touching around 9% real policy at this point in time. You're talking, you know, just below 14% policy rate with inflation dipping below 5%. I think now below 4%. I think the last print was 390. So that is an extraordinary real rate. So what, a, what orthodox policy does for you as an emerging market country is it buys your credibility and it protects your assets. So I think it's a very simple exercise to just go through these markets and look who's who's employed the most orthodox policy and then look at where their assets are and, and how they've performed. And it's certainly been a feature that, that we flagged for a while now that Latin American markets have uh, done more than enough. And in fact, you know, they can cut rates from here, uh, and we think cut sooner than the markets expecting. So, in this environment, certainly with the drag that we have in Asia from Chinese growth disappointing at the moment and the spillover effects that that has, it has been a a feature uh, for us to to upweight certainly Latin America versus Asia that is probably more of a consensus trade more recently but we also don't see that status quo changing anytime soon
0: i'm glad that you brought up china because i was yeah. going to, i was going to ask you about that so we know now that obviously that long awaited reopening and you know zero covid policy um ending um that you know the reopening was less favorable than than imagined and yeah. you know for it now would appear that you know the the economy is actually this investor uh, sentiment is driven by actual kind of you know real internal structural economic issues um as opposed to maybe um concerns around politics as you know as we seen you know October 2022 how how has this disappointing reopening um what has been the the ripple effect, you know throughout the the wider emd market from from your perspective
1: so the ripple the of- Effects come through in those supply chains into China that have been a bit disappointing. And I think you can see that in some of the terms of trade and the export numbers for some of the commodity exporters where we we would have thought, well, it's certainly the consensus was, I'm going to say six months ago, that um, a recovery in China will obviously, initially be a COVID kind of revenge spend um, type of recovery where all of a sudden people go to restaurants and they go on holidays. Uh, and, and it's that kind of revenge spend boost that is purely consumption driven that should filter through into animal spirits and then lead eventually to a, to a manufacturing slash industrial response in your economy, which has not been the case. And that not being the case, it means that it's also not... Um, energy and commodity intensive and so those export sectors I would guess for countries like South Africa that exports coal or you know copper exports from Chile or Panama or Peru uh, has been has been yeah more disappointing compared to what we would have thought the baseline would have been a priori for for this kind of reopening so that's that's the kind of first line of of I would say effect. It's also difficult to disentangle the the effect of the French shoring and near shoring that's happening from the West and the skepticism that we can certainly see from our Western clients in investing directly into China. So the AI boom has certainly pulled some money back into the equity market, but in the fixed income side, people are still quite loath to put exposure back into China. So the capital flow dynamic is also not there. And then I would say a third effect is that the its near neighbors, like Taiwan and Korea, if you go and look at their export orders, have also been quite disappointing in that those supply chains into China just haven't been what we've become used to in the past. So their economies have been slowing down with China as well.
0: So I suppose, yeah, what you're saying is it can't really be underestimated the impact that the geopolitical tensions between the US and China are having it it, in the event, say of, I think, uh, you know, you might not agree, um, but I'd be be interested to hear your thoughts on this. You know, if there were, say, a couple of if there was to be catalysts for change in investor sentiment, you know. It might not take too much to sort of if even if even if slight improvements between the uh the tensions between US and China, probably not helped by Biden's recent comments calling Xi Jinping a, 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 a dictator. Um, but then also rumors of Xi Jinping injecting this long, much wanted stimulus into the economy. What what areas of you know emerge the emerging market regions would you see? benefit from this and 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 how would you start to position yourself say for that sort of um those two outcomes
1: firstly as you as you've ascertained already we're not positioned for that at the moment we in a we in a muddle. we we think that the the scenarios in china we're kind of in the middle scenario which is a a muddle through with some stimulus coming Mm -hmm. through but what they would have called in the past the kind of bazooka stimulus and a uh, al dente on the uh, on the geopolitical front and what that would mean for markets and how you'd pre-position for that um, if i had to take that as the as the status quo and you gave me perfect foresight and that to position for this the big bazooka would would mean not just loosening of monetary policy and injecting liquidity which would be bad for Bad for the currency. It would it would be big enough, for instance, to give it a proper growth boost, which would be currency positive. So, the the easiest positioning for that is just to buy Chinese renminbi because it's quite weak. It's been weakening for quite a while now, six months more. So, you know, it is starting to get cheap already. Uh, that would be a very easy one to 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 go and position in with quite a lot of um, uh, bang for your buck. I would say. But then also those currencies somewhat attached to it, um, you know, some of it in the, you know, in the French shoring chain, Malaysia would do well, Korea, Taiwan, all of those currencies have certainly lagged the rest of EM currency performance a lot this year. So those currencies will all have a relief bounce um, on the back of this, you know, and without getting... Do you think think now is
0: the time to be looking at those currencies?
1: I would say it's it's too soon and that there's enough liquidity in the system for you to uh, or enough trading liquidity to put those positions on so I wouldn't play for the exception to the rule and I would play the status quo but just to get back to the geopolitical question and you know the comments that Biden made and everything else I wouldn't take those um comments as as the barometer of what is happening, but there's certainly an institutional lurch to the right through all of um, the American political system, and that's bipartisan support to be hawkish China, and we've, we've picked it up from a swathe of our Western clients that that's quite a pervasive view. Now, you know we think in time this can change. You know, China is a very large part of the world economy. You can't ch- cut China out of the supply chain. So, you know we think it's a it's a bit like the like the climate change debate that just to decarbonize your portfolio for the fact of decarbonizing is unhelpful, and you should be invested a part of the debate and focus rather on transition financing than decarbonizing. And I would almost call it the same with China. You want to remain invested, get a seat at the table, and you know be part of the conversation, as opposed to divest completely in an economy that's the second largest economy in the world, um, and in PPP terms certainly the largest by a long way. So, um,
0: I find that interesting. Of- I find that interesting what you said about you know seeing the institutional lurching towards the right, which yes. you know we can absolutely see, and with that. Hawkish policies. I'm actually interested in your experience. Yeah. What is the impact on emerging market regions and countries and valuations when you see this move to the right mm. in, in in American politics and, and therefore policies?
1: So the the impact on us is just when you look at overall flows to EMD as an asset loss. So the conversations with a you know, need to be careful here because it's a very diverse country in America, but the conversations are typically around EMD is risky. And then you say, well, you know, DM's, DM bonds have become a lot more risky and they look a lot more like EM and the performance of a 2022 is this indistinguishable between EM and DM. And in fact, you know, okay, you don't want to say facetiously, if I hadn't invested in Russia, I would have made you a lot of money. But if you cut Russia out of the equation for last year that EM actually did very well in the rest of the countries relative to DM and and such a big bond uh, bear market. But the typical reaction is EM debt is risky. And then you say, well, it's not so risky. If you look at the volatility and you look at the balance sheet improvement that you've seen and you take a US balance sheet where the data GDP in the U S is going to bottom out at about 120% and then keep going up again. Whereas EM debt across the hard currency sovereign universe, which is the lower quality double B, as opposed to the local currency universe, you know, their debt to GDP is is around 50%. So um, it's running a a balanced primary budget or even a slight surplus where the US is running a primary deficit of around 4%. So, you know, when you talk about riskiness, it's certainly not the balance sheet of EM that's risky. The volatility is, is what it always was. It's um it's not gone anywhere, but developed market bonds have become worse off. So you have that conversation. Sure. And, you know, and then people say, okay, maybe maybe not. And then and then they'll go, but China's gonna invade Taiwan. <laughs> and the conversation yeah. stops. And right. I think I think it's the the hawkishness translates into a um a underweight in portfolios towards EM risk because China makes a part of that universe and is a big part of the Asian investment complex and has links into all of these other economies. And I, I would say, you know, in many ways we find um, that reticence to invest in in EMD because of the China um, exposure within. You know somewhat um i would say overblown relative to the riskiness of 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 what's perceived in the asset class um and so it becomes a geopolitical emotional decision to just get clear of the asset class as opposed to one based on potential returns yields available volatility and the strength of balance sheets and the recovery that we see in em after such a big hiking cycle you know there's a there's a very attractive asset class there but you know, geopolitical risk makes this a a a uh it gives it the skeptical audience, if you will.
0: Yes, yes, no, I understand. And on that, you know, uh emotional stock picking aside, mm. um, with all that in mind, I suppose, in the current environment that we are, what what are your top picks? Where where are you placing your bets at the minute?
1: So, as I said, that Latin America, Asia ballots, and I'll get into the detail of that now. It's it's an unusual situation that you can you can create a portfolio where you set positive carry um, or yield on a on a on a on a on a long short basket of investments, um, and and earn carry off that, but not take market directional beta exposure in your portfolio. So. My point being is usually if you buy yield, you pay for it either in, either in volatility or in market direction. So you take risk. And we are in this situation now where you can structure a portfolio where you can get a huge amount of carry into your portfolio, yield into your portfolio without necessarily having to pay for it in a cost of volatility or market direction risk that you assume onto that portfolio. So within that context, you know, we like the Latin American currencies, Brazilian real, Colombian peso, Chilean peso, um, you know, and you can fund that out of currencies that have a lot of beta and lower yield, which is your Korean ones, your South African rands, you know, some of your Central Eastern European currencies or even the Euro itself. So that kind of flavor you'll see through our portfolios. There's also then, the fact that EM EM central banks have hiked so much that curves have really inverted, especially in those markets where um, you think rate hikes are going to come. So front-end rates are really high and the back-end rates are priced a little bit more realistically. And so the price is in this rate-cutting path. And I think you need to find those central banks where once they start going down, that cutting cycle will cut more than what the market is expecting because there is a cost to buy these bond markets if a yield curve is inverted, because you pay pay carry, because the funding yield is above the bond yield, you also pay a negative role. So if the yield curve is inverted, you're buying something that goes higher and higher in yield up the curve if they don't cut rates, so you're losing capital all the time. So you need to overcome those two hurdles, and you need to find those central banks where you think... If this inflation profile continues like this they're going to cut more than expected and there's several of these markets that we like for that fact you know i think um you know in that in that vein i think something like like brazil still looks really good again um across the universe there's a yeah there's a couple of markets which we think you know um check convergence back towards boons over time is an interesting idea I think in, in, in Asia, because of the lower growth, and it's like a slightly different dynamic, there's some bond markets there that look really good, given they're struggling for growth. You know, a Korea, for instance, seems interesting, ageing population, conservative fiscal, slowing growth, and the first central bank in Asia to hike. So, you know, we think they could also be one of the first to, to ease on the back of that. So, again, that looks like an interesting um, idea to us.
0: On that note, thank you very much, Vene van Pitius, for joining me.